Anyhow, uh, let's open a word of prayer. Let me go on. Thank you, Lord, that we can take this time during the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season uh, to come together and worship you and to remember uh, what the reason it is for it, Lord. And uh, I just pray you be with us now as we open your word, uh, that you guide us and teach us what you want us to learn. Amen. Oh, I got a slide. <laughs> What'd you get? What'd you get? Does anybody know that word? Yeah. That's the first thing we would say as soon as we saw our cousins for Christmas dinner or saw our friends in the next couple of days. What'd you get? What'd you get? We all know what that means, right? What did you get? But it's said with such enthusiasm and such urgency that it comes out as one big word. And, you know, you're not really looking for the lengthy list of every little detail which some kids would give you. You just wanted the highlights. What, are the great, what great things are you going to get? What good stuff did you get? For me, I remember as a kid, one of my, my favorite gifts, I got a whack load of Star Wars figures in New Guinea, which was a wonderful thing because you couldn't find them in New Guinea. So I got those shipped to me somehow. My parents gave those, and that was, that was a great gift when I was about eight years old. When I was 10, I got a BMX bike, which I loved and rode all the time. As a teenager, I got a Sega Genesis controller system. That was hours and hours and hours of fun, right? Uh, and then uh, as an adult, my wife and my in-laws gave me a guitar for Christmas, which you'll still see my son playing up here sometimes. And that was a great gift as well. But there are other gifts I didn't like so much. Um, I think when we were 15 and 16, my brother and I, my, dad, my parents gave us a weight set, right? And... <laughs> Well, you knew right away what it was, because my dad says, why don't you guys come over here and get your gifts? And we had to shove the thing across the carpet, right? And we really looked at each other like, we're never going to use this. And it really didn't get used for a long time. But, uh, you know, some gifts you're excited for, and you receive them well. Other gifts, like a weight set, maybe not so much, right? And it's hard to try to fake it. But um, people can tell when you're not really into that, and you're not really receiving the gift. Um, 1981 was a big year for us in New Guinea because my dad had been to Singapore at Christmas time. And uh, he went to Singapore an education conference because he was t- a teacher at the time in New Guinea. And uh, that was the tech boom in the early 80s, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, I remember getting a Space Invaders video game, a little Porsche 911 remote control car. And uh, we all got a great thing. So Christmas morning was really happy. And then my sister Sarah, she got her little gift, which was a stuffed frog with a ring around the neck, but she couldn't see the ring, right? So she, right away, you could see the disappointment on her face. Anyhow, I called her up to get the details on the story to make sure I was right. We have two different versions of it. This is how she remembers it. She opened, she saw the gifts there, she sees it, she put on a brave, you know, stoic face, but she couldn't hide the disappointment, and then my dad came and pointed it out to her, and then everything was wonderful. In my version of the story... She throws this frog down, runs down the hall screaming, It's not fair! It's not fair! <laughs> uh, I asked my brother about it after I talked to her, and he confirms my story, okay? <laughs> so, and I promised my sister, I would, like, next time I use her in a you know, sermon, I'll make it a positive thing. <laughs> but the deal that's going on with my sister is she wasn't receiving that gift, right? Um, she couldn't see the value in it. She looked at what we got, and then she saw what she got, and it didn't compare. But she just didn't value it, and she didn't want to receive the gift. Um, and that's, I think, as we continue to look into celebrating Advent, we're going to look at receiving the gift of Christ today. Um, you know, what that is, and um, just exactly what we are getting in Christ. 
I want you to understand this if you get nothing out of the rest of the sermon. The only way to receive Christ is by his spirit. Okay, the only way you can receive the gift of Christ is by his spirit. So let's begin by looking at the passage. And this is where I put my glasses on here, the rest of the way. (laughs) John 1, 9 through 13. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not, of, not out of blood, but of the, or of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There we go. So Jesus is the gift. Richard reminded us a couple weeks ago that Advent is here and exists because there was a problem in the world. And that problem is sin. And earlier in chapter 1 of John, he describes that as darkness. He says in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then here again in verse 9, he says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So Jesus is the true light. That word true, it means genuine, real, true in itself, uh, complete. And that's opposed to what is false or pretend or made up, right? And the light Part of that is that knowledge that enlightens your mind, soul, and your conscience, right? A true knowledge of God and spiritual things. So Christ has come as the true light. He's bringing that spiritual enlightenment, and he brings that to every person, every man. That truth is evident to all people. It's there for everybody to receive. But here's the problem. Not Not everybody is going to receive that. You look at verse 10 and 11. He was in the world... And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This word know means to recognize, to recognize a person's character. It's relational. It's an understanding of who somebody is um, at their core. Okay? So they did not recognize him for who he was. The word receive is another key word here. And in this, text, uh, this context, it means associating or being familiar with somebody. Right? It's a relational word as well. And it's like, kind of like receiving somebody into your home. Right? So even though the world was made through Christ, it's his world, people did not know him nor want anything to do with him. Right? To not receive him in this text is to reject him. Right? His own people, his own creation rejected him. So the question that comes to my mind is, how is that even possible? Right? How is that not evident to everybody? And... Uh, you know, how can, if it's there and, we, and it's in the world and I see it, how come they don't? And I hope this is true for you, but it's true for me. Sometimes I have, I'm so keenly aware, and I remember last year working in the school, walking down the hallway, a hallway full of kids and teachers, feeling very, just being very keenly aware that I'm different, that I see the world differently than most of these people. Right? And I had such a pity for them that they don't have that hope and that joy, and they don't have the broader picture like I do, right? And... Um, you know, you wonder, why don't they do that? Why don't they see him? But there are people who do. We do. And I'm going to talk more about that later. <laughs> um, let's look at verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Once again, we see that word receive. In this instance, it means to receive knowledge, to embrace a teacher and to follow their instruction. See, this receiving, recognizing, believing all seem to be part and parcel of the same thing. It's really accepting Jesus Christ, right? 
When we believe in his name, we have faith in who he is, like that's in his person and his work, right? Um, the, then that's, we, uh, the result is that we become children of God, right? That we belong to him. But this is a spiritual process. This is a spiritual rebirth. As you can see, this is not of blood, of the flesh, or of will of man, but we're born of God. The Holy Spirit is who does this work in us. We respond simply by faith, believing in him. Right? We incline our hearts toward him. That's what our part is. But God does the work of salvation. Right? And we are just receivers of a gift. Hebrews 12, 2, describes Christ says, describes Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. John 6.44 says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent, him, sent me draws him. So we know from Scripture that God's work, and he draws us, and he works in us for salvation. Tom Torrance wrote a book called Mediation of the Christ, and in there he talks about his daughter. He remembers uh, teaching his daughter to walk. And maybe you've heard this image or seen this image before, but he says he remembers her tiny little hand gripping his and his hand, and she wasn't relying on her own strength. She was grabbing on tight, but she wasn't relying on her own strength. She was relying on his stronger grasp of her hand. Right? She was learning to walk because he was holding her. Right? And he says, "This is surely how God's faithfulness is, and He has our whole He He has a hold of our weak and faltering faith and holds it securely in His hand." And he continues, he says, "In a profound and proper sense, therefore, we must think of Jesus Christ." constituting in himself the very substance of our conversion, even in our very acts of repentance. We rely on his faithfulness for us, right? His strength. We can't do anything but receive him, right? So even in our faltering faith, he is faithful, and that's what we're relying on. And as I read that, you know, I, once again, I'm thinking, how come people wouldn't choose that? You know, you hear that, those beautiful words about a, a father, you know, holding up his son, his, his child, and helping them to walk, and that security and that love is just an amazing thing. You wonder, why, is, why do people reject it, you know? And I think part of it has to do with uh, what we spread in the beginning about the true light, you know? That concept of the true light, it's real, right? Well, if there's true light, then there must be false light or artificial light as well. And I think that artificial light can sometimes keep us from seeing the true light. Can you put up the uh, next slide, Lucas? Here you guys, here you might, I'll turn around, look at this way. You can see the night sky uh, from different perspectives. On the left-hand side, there's the inner city, what the night sky looks like in the inner city. On the far right is an excellent dark sky in a rural area, right? And as you see that, you can see that obviously the stars become much more evident. The true light becomes much more evident the further away you get from the false light. Our cities are full of Lights. I mean, good things we use them. We have all for all sorts of reasons, but they keep us from seeing the truth, right? And if you want to see a nice, a night nice sky, you have to go out of the city, then you can really see it, right? I think it's like that with us. Sometimes in our spiritual lives, we become so distracted by artificial light that it blinds us to seeing the true light. Romans one twenty says this: For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Right? There's enough evidence in the world for, for anybody to recognize it, to recognize and to receive Christ. So there's no excuse for why we don't. But there are some obstacles, you know. 
Most of us here probably made a, a confession of faith, I'm thinking. We're, we're most of us here are believers. But if we're honest, we know that there, there's ups and downs in our lives, right? There's things that get in the way of our faith and living, really fully living in that faith. And um, I just want to go through a few of those with you. The first one is sin, an obvious one. <laughs> I'm going to read uh, John 3, verses 19 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Our sinfulness keeps us from receiving Christ. He brings it to light. You know, it's our shame, our guilt that doesn't allow us to embrace him. It's easier to avoid that and to deal with the reality of the sinfulness in our hearts sometimes. And that's been since the beginning of time, right? Since Adam and Eve in the garden, they hid from, tried to hide from God when they had sinned. And we all know this, not just with God, but with each other. When you care about somebody and you disappoint them, sometimes you just want to hide away. And that's what this is. Sinfulness makes us want to shy away and be away from God. And the reality is that we all struggle with sin, right? We all know that. Neil Anderson, in his book, The Victory Over the Darkness, talks about uh, being in the Navy. And uh, when he first joined the Navy, he had this you know, captain that was really gruff and tough and crusty, kind of mean guy. And they called him the old man. And um, he stayed for a couple of years, and he learned under him. But uh, eventually he moved on. They got a new captain. Well, the new captain wasn't nearly as mean and tough, uh, kinder guy. But he said they still operated as though they were under the old captain, right? The old man. He still had influence on him. Even though he was gone, he had no authority over him anymore. He said, I still operated as though I was under that guy, in that fear of him. And I operated in those same ways. And he says, we're the same. It's the same with sin, sin in our hearts. Sin is the our old master. But it still carries over. Its influence still carries over, even though we have a new master who is full of grace, Right? So we need to, you know, we all feel that shame. But when we feel the shame of sin, we need to run into his arms instead of running away. Right? Our tendency is to run away and hide. That's exactly when you need to come back to Christ. And he says, Jesus said he came to heal the sick, right? So let's run towards our healer and receive his grace. So that's the first one. Sin can be an obstacle to receiving the gift of Christ. Lack of understanding can also be an obstacle. I think about Nicodemus, also in John 3. A lot of references from John in this sermon. <laughs> um, he, Jesus, Nicodemus comes to Christ at night, he, and uh, he recognizes that Jesus has done all these amazing things, and that his power has to come from God. But he has difficulty when Jesus starts to tell him, teach him, and to, to tell him some things. He says, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Nicodemus really struggles with that one. And he says, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born of, the wa- of water and the Spirit. Right? Because there's something more beyond the physical exercise of baptism, right? There's something else. There's a spiritual nature to this that you're lacking. And he challenges them. He says, you're a a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? Yeah, you can't understand these things? We're the same way. Sometimes we don't understand scripture. It's difficult. There's difficult passages. In those times, we need to ask God to reveal himself to us, right? It's difficult to understand, but God will show us. We've got to trust in him. In the same way, uh, you know, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees in John 5. Uh, he just healed the layman, a layman, and uh, on the Sabbath, and they're challenging him. 
And this is what he says, part of what he says back to them. This is John 5, verses 37 to 39. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, that you refuse to come to me to have life. The Pharisees were the big, great theologians of their day. They spent time in God's word. They knew it better than anyone, right? But they were missing something. You know, they were blinded by their tradition, by their position, um, but they couldn't really see that Christ was the subject of the words that they were studying. I think as we study scripture, right, as amazing as it is, we need to keep that balance between the knowledge of God and the relationship with God, right? It's a wonderful thing, but there's a danger when we're gaining knowledge and lacking understanding, right? And it's only by the Spirit that that truth is revealed to us, as he illuminates God's word, right? And we, remember, we can only receive the Spirit by, by, uh, by, receive Christ by the Spirit. So sin is an obstacle, lack of understanding is an obstacle, and the third obstacle is uh, life circumstances. Uh, the first one's wealth, we, wealth and materialism. We just did a whole series on the treasure principle, uh, but uh, in Scripture in Luke 18, Jesus has this interaction with the rich young ruler, and he tells him he needs to sell everything to come and follow him. Right? Well, he's not just—he's not challenging the young ruler based on how much money he has. He's challenging the young ruler's priorities. Right? Is his attitude towards it? How much trust he puts in it? Right? It's difficult in our culture. Right? where we have so much stuff that we can begin to rely on that and trust in it over God. And I think, you know, we spend lots of hours worrying about what we have, you know, protecting it, trying to accumulate more, just to get a little bit more secure in our RSPs and those kinds of things. But those things can become obstacles to Christ if if we're not careful. Conversely, uh, struggle can become an obstacle to receiving Christ. Uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. You know, these different types of uh, soils, right? The rocky soil. That's the kind of person, Jesus explains, who receives the good news, but loses it, but lose it when persecution and difficulties come, right? They're easily shaken when tough times come, right? It can fall away if we don't ground ourselves in God's word, right? Because the truth doesn't take hold. We need to make sure that we're rooted in, in God, rooted in Christ, rooted in his word, so that when difficult times come, we're not shaken from it. The third circumstance of life, I think sometimes is the need for control. And I love to pick on Herod, the King Herod, in the Christmas story in Matthew 2. He was threatened by the prophecy of a new king who's going to come in and undermine his kingdom, right? And we're the same, I think. Sometimes we want, don't want anybody to threaten our little kingdom. <laughs> uh, maybe we've got, we all have plans for our lives. I want to get married and have kids and my RSPs are going to grow, and I'm going to retire at this age, and I'm going to get these promotions this time, and I'm going to go on these trips this time. And that's great to plan. It's amazing to me how often those plans are interrupted, right? <laughs> you know? But we love to live and love to plan. But if we become so overwhelmed with orchestrating everything in our lives, we do not leave room for God to work in our lives, right? He will interrupt it. But we're boxing him out. We want to make sure that we're giving, leaving room for him to guide and to, and to and to give up our control to him. And the fourth one here is busyness of life, right? 
We were singing this song in the uh, I Cannot Come to the Banquet. Does anybody know that song? We were singing it in the office the other day. <laughs> Don't trouble me now. I have married a wife. I bought me a cow. Or bought me a wife, married a cow. Or, you know. Uh, oh, that, that parable, Christ, is, you know, people's people are all preoccupied that they can't come and receive, uh, receive Jesus. And they can't, or they can't come to the great banquet. And uh, I think it's in our world, especially at Christmas time, that can become a danger as well. Let me just take a drink here. As I mentioned before, one of my favorite gifts was a guitar. Carol and her parents got together and got me this guitar. And um, in 2006 it was. And I loved playing that. I was so surprised by that gift, I loved it. And, you know, to everybody else's chagrin, I played it quite a bit for the first few years. And over and over, can you please play a different song? I would always hear. And, uh, but I really loved it. And it was about three years, I was pretty consistent playing, right? But slowly but surely, my practicing just kind of dwindled off. It's, it wasn't that I didn't like my gift. I love that. I still do think it's a great gift. And I still appreciate having that guitar around. But I don't, I don't go to it as much. And there's reasons for that. You know, my learning curve kind of plateaued. <laughs> I wasn't getting any better. Um, there were other things I was interested in doing. You know, other things I wanted to do with my time. And I simply just didn't have the time to do it, to practice. It doesn't mean I didn't receive, love that gift, right? But... I just didn't have time, and I wasn't putting the same effort and energy into it. And I think it's the same way with our relationship with Christ. You know, we have received him as a gift, but these obstacles come in, and they keep us from enjoying the gift and allowing God to truly work in our lives. So that's why I think it's really important that we remind ourselves just exactly how amazing this gift is. And um, we've heard it today... uh, one of these, Jesus makes uh, seven I am statements. These are the words, his own words about who he is. And I think that's a good way to kind of remind us of who he is and what he is to us and what it means to be children of God. What are we receiving when we become children of God? So I want to take a look at this seven. You see them up there on the screen now. I'll go through this pretty quickly. I am the bread of life. So that's from John 6. He says it three times. All who eat will never hunger or or thirst again. That's what he says. This is sustenance for us, right? It's all satisfying and it's eternal, right? We can be completely satisfied. That's an antidote for materialism in this culture, right? And he provides contentment and rest for us. I am the light of the world. We just heard that this morning in our Advent reading. We've already discussed the light, what it means, but Jesus is bringing spiritual enlightenment, enlightenment to us, right? The Spirit illuminates God's word for us, revealing the truth, right? It brings life to us and joy to everybody who believes. Number three, I am a gate for the sheep. People find safety and nourishment in Christ. Well, we're going to see he's a good shepherd, but uh, unlike those who come to steal and destroy, right? We can have complete security. We can live without fear. Jesus says he came so we can have life to the full, right? And number four, I am the good shepherd. He cares for us so much that he's given us his life for us. That's what a good shepherd does. Right? We belong to him. He's going to protect us. He does protect us and he guides us. He knows us and we know him. We have a relationship with him. That's an amazing thing. Anytime, no matter where you are, you can always call on Christ. He's your good shepherd. He's always there. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus says these comforting words to Mary and Martha. Just uh, as Lazarus has died before he miraculously heals him or raises him from the dead. 
Right? Our faith guarantees that we will live with him eternally, right? Um, it provides, he provides victory over death. We can live with hope and deep joy. We can carry this truth in our hearts every day. We don't have to live in fear anymore. Number six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the means by which we are saved and reconciled with our Heavenly Father. He's the way. He embodies the truth, right? He doesn't just point towards the truth, right? He is the truth. When we know him, we know the truth. And, and the life, he is our life source, right? He gives eternal life as opposed to death, the death and the darkness that we deserve. And finally, I am the true vine. If we remain in him, and he, he, uh, we believe in him and receive him as a gift from God, then we will bear much fruit. Right? He is our life source. He provides us with what we need to grow. And he works good things through us, through our lives. Right? Without him, we can do nothing good. Right? If we remain in him, he will remain in us. And his faithfulness, once again, is reliable even when we falter. So let's keep those in mind. And next, some, next time somebody asks you, what'd you get? <laughs> now you know what to say, right? I got Christ. Uh, and Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. Despite um, the challenges that come to our faith, we can truly, we, if we truly uh, choose to serve him daily, um, he'll be with us, and he promises that, right? Not just at Christmas, we remember him as a gift, but all the way through the year, right? We can ask the Spirit to indwell us and to guide us. Because the only way we can receive this gift, gift of Christ, is by the Spirit. That's the only way we can possibly know how precious he is. So going back to my lead-in story about my sister Sarah, after she'd thrown the thing down and tantrumed off to her room, (laughs) um, my dad didn't just leave her there to cry it out, did he? He ran after her. This is my recollection. He ran after her. Because he had bought the gift. He loved my sister. He bought her this gift because he thought she would enjoy it. And he wanted her to enjoy it. He wanted her to recognize and to receive it, right? So he ran after her. And, that's, and he did do that. And she was able to enjoy it. And that's how God is with us. He lovingly pursues us. We get many chances to see his love demonstrated in our lives, right? He wants us to enjoy what he's provided. He wants to be reconciled with us. So there's hope for those who have rejected him completely. And there's hope for those of us who stray sometimes, right? His love is still there. We just need to receive it. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing and precious gift of Christ. Lord, amidst the hustle and bustle of Christmas, Lord, and the many obstacles that come every day of our lives, God, Help us to see clearly by your spirit and to receive him. Amen.